Hi, this is Tina Black, and this is the B-Series Podcast. Today, we'll be exploring untold stories of transformation and leadership. We hope you'll subscribe and check out the B-Books and send us your stories of transformation after listening. I'm so excited, Jared Jackson Dean. Finally, I've been wanting to do this for about a year and a half now. And finally, I have captured you. I have Jared Jackson Dean, who's a salon owner, a master stylist, a success coach, and a motivational public speaker. Uh, He's established an extensive resume of salon success. Get this, he's the owner of Salon 11 and JJD Salon, located, listen to this, in the Ritz-Carlton at LA Live. Now that's pretty awesome. I can't wait to dive deep into that, Jared. Uh, Jared has also developed an elite team of well-rounded stylists and sets the standard of excellence by empowering them with business tools to excel behind the chair. He's an advocate for continuing education. Jared personally teaches the Stylist Bootcamp, an interactive online training course he developed to provide mentorship and business building tools and the art of client attraction. To further inspire the spirit of entrepreneurship and stylist development, Jared incorporates the utilization of digital media to share his message as the host, which I love. I've been on (laughs) before, the number one podcast for stylist success available on iTunes. He's a true visionary behind the scenes. He has a successful track record of developing a customized business model for both stylists and salon owners, a public feature he's He's going to hear him and very enlightening, highly energetic, and very informative. Uh, during a speaking engagement, Jared shares his personal story, which we're going to hear today, and provides practical advice, tools, and steps to motivate any group or team. And I love the fa- I love all of your public speaking topics, and I, I want to list them and your courses because I think it's going to be a part of some of our conversation that we have going on, Jared. And, And number one is building your business. Hello. Uh, Client client engagement, setting goals, self-development, which is motivational, inspirational, and setting goals and team development. And your courses are Stylist Bootcamp, which we talked about, Client Attraction Mastery Formula, The Core of Stylist Success, ABC, Master the Possibilities, Master Social Media, Pyramid of Growth. And then you do elite coaching, which I love, which is one-on-one coaching for stylists and salon owners. Wow. Okay. Yes. You don't look a day over 20, so I don't know <laughs> when you started this or not, but you have to share with me how did you, from you get into this business? Where, tell me the whole story. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, thank you, number one, for having me on your podcast. It's an honor. Um, you know, I've always admired you looked up to everything that you've done. And, um, you know, being in this business, I feel like one of the the big bonuses is actually like building and establishing relationships and uh, connecting with individuals like yourself. And, um, you know, when I was younger, one of the things, I have a pretty big family. So I come from a, a background of eight of us. Um, and wow. there's six kids in the family. I do have another sister that is my half sister. Uh, so she makes the sevens, but she's like a baby. She's, she's the youngest in the bunch. Um, and, you know, as we were growing up, one of the things that our father, um, which is hilarious when I look back at it now, he was, he was kind of a guy that kind of like kept all his money, you know, and he was cheap to, a little bit too cheap to actually take us to the barbershop. So what he did is he actually took us to a local Uh, beauty supply store. He got us all clippers and, uh, you know, the boys in the family, I think we were roughly around 12, 13 years of age. And he's like, Hey, you guys have to learn how to cut your own hair. I did it in a barb. I did it in army and uh, I'll show you guys some tips. So you guys go ahead and do it. And I was the one that kind of like took it to the next level. I mean, I was really like just attracted with the idea of you know, doing phase and, and blending hair. And I was like, all right, I'm, I'm good at this. I can, I can rock it. So by the time I was 15, I was taking my clippers to school. I was cutting guys hair. Uh, I was cutting a lot of uh, people in the neighborhood's hair and, you know, charging five or 10 bucks, whatever the case may be. And um, I, I liked it. 
I never thought in, in my wildest dreams that I was actually going to be in the barbering beauty industry. I never thought about it. I wanted to run a bank. I wanted to work with money. Um, I wanted to <laughs> help people get financed, you know, all walks of life. So what was interesting about that is I, I started dating a girl uh, when I was around an 11th or 12th grade or something like that. And she was, um, she was a hairstylist. And she was super talented at doing hair, doing makeup. And there were days that I used to, you know, she used to do uh, video shoots, photo shoots. She was so good. Um, and I used to accompany her sometime, like just go with her, you know. And um, Tina, don't, don't be mad at me, but I actually used to ditch school sometimes to actually oh just hang God. out with her and yeah. see her do stuff. And usually when you're on photo shoots and stuff like that, they'll have the makeup artists actually do hair as well. And I used to jump in and help her. And, I, you know, she used to label me as her assistant. And we had a lot of fun. And one of the things that she mentioned to me was, you know, you really don't know how to do hair, but you got the personality that you might, you might end up doing okay. And I was like, I would never do woman's hair. I mean, I just couldn't imagine I can, I can cut men's hair. And even when I went to cosmetology school, I decided to do it, Tina. And um, my teachers, my, uh, they used to make fun of me. They were like, you're in the wrong business. You, you got too much testosterone um, <laughs> to be in this business. Uh -huh. You need to be doing construction. Look at your hands. Uh, you know, my dad was, uh, he was a carpenter. He was a, a plumber. He cut the grass. He worked for the post office. I mean, he was like the manly of men and all of my brothers were like that, you know? So <laughs> I, I pretty much sucked at doing women's hair. I, I excelled at doing men's hair, but I was not doing, I was not great at doing women's hair. And one of the things that really gravitated to me in this business was just how many people that I actually met just being in the beauty industry, like going to the conventions, going to the shows, um, you know, in, in our culture of in the beauty industry, everyone sort of gathered and stuck with their own race, which I thought was pretty interesting, you know, it was like African Americans did African American hair, Caucasian people did Caucasian hair, Asian people did Asian hair. And that was kind of like the thing. And um, one of my teachers, um, actually the one that told me to give up doing hair, she said, the only way, Jared, that I see you excelling in doing business is if you learn the diversity of, of the hair industry. And um, I told Dennis, I said, you know, I want to I want to learn how to do all different textures of hair. And he's like, man, you're crazy. He was like, really? you know, there's no money there. You, you want to stick with doing, you know, you know, relaxers. You want to stick it to doing extensions, braids and all this stuff. And as much as I was amazed about that, I was more attracted to the fact of like cutting hair and coloring hair. And so the first salon that I actually interviewed at, um, it was a salon in Pasadena um, um, called Amadeus Spa. And I walked in there and that, that space was like 12,000 square feet, Tina. It was 12,000 square feet. They had a facialist, they had massage therapists, they had uh, 22 hairstylists that were walking in there. It was departmentalized, a huge front desk, like about seven people working there, huge retail space. And when I walked in, I was extremely intimidated, you know, and I was like 20, 21, 22 at the time. And I went there and I'm thinking to myself, I'm like, okay, I'm going to interview here. I'm going to turn in my resume. I have no experience whatsoever. And, you know, I didn't get a, I didn't even get a call back. I was frustrated. I was like, man, I really want to work at that place. And I told my mom, I'm like, mom, I want to work there. And she's like, well, you got to keep, you got to keep pushing if you really want to work there. And when I, every time I walked in, I was kind of disappointed because I, I didn't see any other African-Americans work there. So I was, I started to think to myself, is that, is that the reason why I'm not there? Is that the reason why I'm not working there? So what I did is I called up and I found out that the manager was actually a hairstylist. She was a colorist um, and she did men's cuts only. So I scheduled Tina, I scheduled a men's haircut with her and I went in dressed up, suited and booted. <laughs> and I laugh about it to this day because I was literally ready to rock and roll. And she walks up front and she's a little Asian lady. And she's like, are you Jared? And I'm like, yeah. 
And she's like, I'm like, you're when I had hair, she's like, um, I'm sorry, I, I don't cut, I don't cut African American men. And I'm like, oh, you don't? No. You're like, no, I don't. And I was like, well, you know what? I actually sent in my resume like about a month and a half ago. And I didn't hear back from you guys. So since you have time, you think it's possible instead of doing a haircut, we can do an interview? Wow. And she's like, you know what? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And um, a week and a half later, I, I had the job. I, was, I started off as an assistant inside of the salon. And wow. they did um, Tony and Guy education, Vidal Sassoon education. And it literally tailspinned my um, my love and passion for, uh, for the beauty industry. That was kind of like, that's like, kind of like a, you know, quick so, run around, but that's what's what exactly a story. What happened. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I want to dive deep into that. Uh, but I, first I want to know how long were you at that salon and then how, uh, much longer before you opened up your own salon? Yeah. So I actually, I did an assistant program for, uh, about a year, uh, and a couple of months. And then um, the guy that I assisted, his name was Paul. Um, he would do, uh, I decided to do women's haircutting. So I specialized in women's haircutting. And after I got on the floor, um, I, I was there. Paul got sick and I actually took, a, uh, not took a lot of his clients, but a lot of his clients decided to go to me. A, a year after that, about a year and a half after that, um, I opened up my first salon. So I was 23 when I opened up my first salon. Wow. 23 years of age. And um, that came about through a client who was, um, she was a work for a financial company. Um, and her purpose was building up urban areas. And she said, if I was inter ever interested in opening up a hair salon, put a proposal together and you can present it to about six or seven people. And I said, absolutely. I'm, I'm all in. Uh, it took me about a week and a half to put a proposal together that was so amateur um, and I presented it to, um, about six or seven people and three of the people ended up being, uh, the financial backer for the actual space that we built out. Wow. Yeah. What a story. Oh my gosh. You were, okay. I think I'm going to call this be diversified. And the reason why I'm going to talk about it is some of the things that you just said, but also with the whole COVID thing, I think it opened up my eyes there's two things that happened. So there's two crises that happened, of course. Uh, the first one was COVID, making me realize I need to diversify my income even more. Wow. So looking at different avenues to make money, because if they shut our salons down, right? So what right. are you going to do now? And the second thing is uh, in our Paul Mitchell School Network, uh, we took a stand with Black Lives Matter. And yeah. we, our eyes were open, Jared, that we need better education that yeah. we need to educate our team. And I love this so interesting because you keep hearing this over and over and over. I think the first step is gonna be uh, be unintimidated because you know you walking in. And so, you know, I was uh, speaking to a very good friend of mine on one of my podcasts and he said, Tina, for the most part, you won't go into a space if you don't see people that look like you, mm -hmm. right? But here you are, like, what's that untold story that you're like, yeah. no, I'm walking in. It's all primarily, you know, white people. I'm yeah. walking in and I want to be a part of this team. What caused you to push past that? Because, you know, you started out first in, in all that black salon and then you get into, then you get this job. You're yeah. unintimidated. What's that story for you? Um, you know, it's interesting, Tina, because I look at the you know, back then, my kind of like all of the pieces to the puzzle were so um, in disarray. Like it was all, I was kind of like all over the place. And I was trying to find um, the common denominator to my purpose of doing hair and my purpose of just being. And um, I just felt like I was becoming um, just a norm to the beauty industry. And I remember someone telling me uh, that came to cosmetology school that, you know, 10 to 12% of the people that, you know, that pass, get their cosmetology license are the ones that are really successful in the business. And you sprinkle out some of the people that are, aren't really successful. And I wanted to challenge myself to 
walk into a space that was completely foreign to me and redefine my purpose in being in the beauty industry and being just an individual, you know? And when I think about the pieces to the puzzle, it's hard to collect all of the things together to make it all make sense, but it just felt right for me at that time. And, um, you know, and so I think the struggling thing is fear, anxiety, doubt. Um, it's some of the things that are the, sometimes the common denominator of why we push, we don't push forward. You know, we don't want to feel anxiety. We don't want to feel, feel that fear. And so we stop. And I realized that, you know, from what my cosmetology uh, uh, school uh, teachers told me and from what my parents told me, you know, because my dad didn't want me to be in the beauty industry, um, I wanted to sort of do something that was kind of going to be completely out of the norm. I wanted to do something that was completely out of, out of the norm for me. Um, and that completely took me out of my comfort zone. I mean, completely took me out of my comfort zone. And I knew that this is where exactly where I needed to be in this career to challenge myself to, uh, to sort of push and grow. Mm. Oh my gosh. Do you think the, I just listened to a great podcast, by the way, by Patrick Lagioni, and we sent it to some of our team leaders. It's called haters going to hate. Yeah. And, uh, and so <laughs> it's really interesting because I was thinking of you. Do you think that's part of the untold story of just saying, Hey, I'm going to show you guys how successful I can be. And, and I just want to know, you know, on your side of the story, like with your dad, is he accepting of what you do now? Just out of curiosity. Yeah. Yeah. So I completely just blew him out the water. I mean, he, <laughs> and, and in, in, in retrospect, just like, you know, I have a twin brother that went to college. Twin brother. Uh, he, okay. he went on to get a, a master's degree. He always excelled in school. He was a straight A student. He was a, in a dean honor roll. And I was kind of like the C, C minus, D plus kind of student. I was a social butterfly. And, you know, we were on two ends of the spectrum. So my dad didn't really, um, he adored me. He's kind of like, Jerry, you're kind of like the you know, within the family, everyone loves your personality. Everyone loves the individual that you are. But, you know, you can't really expect too much from, from me because I was kind of like the, the wild child, you know. <laughs> and so when I got my cosmetology license, he was kind of like, whoa, wh wow, uh, I'm impressed, you know. Uh, but you're not going to really continue doing hair. And I'm like, yeah, I'm going to do women's hair, you know. And even the teachers, yeah, I was kind of just like, oh, you don't think that I can accomplish this, you know? And I remember like one of my junior high school uh, principals, he told me, because I used to get in trouble a lot, and there was one particular semester that I just excelled, and I, I got all A's, and he told me, he said, you know, the interesting thing about you is that when I see you apply yourself, you, you're an overachiever, and this you know, people telling me that I wasn't going to be do great in the industry, wasn't going to do good as a hairstylist. My dad kind of just like, oh, okay, well, this is going to be okay for you. I wanted to show them out. I, I wanted to prove to myself and to everyone else that I truly love that I'm, I'm more than capable than achieving this goal. I'm more than capable than achieving this goal, you know? So yeah, haters going to hate, but yeah. <laughs> Oh my gosh, this is so, I just got to know. So your twin brother, um, if, he, if you were to be on the outside looking out, uh, who would they see as more successful than each other? <laughs> just out of curiosity. <laughs> you know what? Um, He's pausing. <laughs> that is a, that's a tough one because. Well, what do you think I would say if I were looking at both of you? Probably, probably me. And I'll, I'll tell you yeah. why. My brother's a, he's an introvert. He's very quiet. Um, you know, he's not a talkative kind of guy, but he, when he moves, he moves, every move he makes is a chess play. He's, he's, he's not a risk taker at all. He's kind of very, yeah. very just, you know, um, 
my whole life I've been a risk taker and I'm very vocal about um, impacting, talking to people, you know. So from that perspective, everything that I kind of talked about to everyone, I kind of bring it into fruitation, mm-hmm. you know. Um, so from an entrepreneur standpoint, all the way me from a book, um, you know, he's an engineer, college, book wise, everyone would say, oh, he's, he's smart, smart as, as can be. I'm street smart. He's book smart, you know, yeah. uh, but our success stories are probably mine's is a lot more bigger because I had so much more to, it's almost like my twin brother had an expect, I mean, he's, it was kind of like expected for him to, to be where he is. And for me, it was kind of just like, whoa, uh, whoa, Jerry. Oh my, wow. You know, so my family is just, uh, all of my siblings are just blown yeah. away by a lot of things that I've, I've, I've been able to accomplish, you know, along the way. Yeah, I believe it. And I, I was kind of setting me up for this because of course my, <laughs> uh, my husband and I, my husband being, you know, he just um, actually just retired as a lawyer, but I swear he wishes that he was a hairdresser. You know, it's wow. so funny because I'm actually sitting in the office of where his grandfather, who was on the Supreme Court for 17 years in the state of Michigan, and then his other grandfather was a barber. And so, and he's always like, kind of last 22 years, he's like, I got to get in the hair industry somehow. And so ended up, (laughs) you know, putting me into it. But I'll tell you, he's on the periphery always. And today he was actually coaching some staff and, and some future professionals. And, you know, so he helps out quite a bit. But I swear, I know deep down inside, he'd rather just be in the hair industry and never have been in the law business right. <laughs> <laughs> but it's so fun and I love that you said that because uh, interesting story is his associates that used to work for him actually made on a monetary uh, point of view that were lawyers made less money than our top hairstylists and so and I it's so interesting actually quite a bit less and so it's so interesting because you know, all these parents, let's talk to the parents and, you know, let's you and I talk to parents because we all know the parents and I, I'm a school owner and I would say it's a lot better now, Jared, uh, than it used to be. Uh, but I would say there's still that 20% of students where it used to be 80%, 20% of students, I would say where the students will say, yeah, my parents really don't want me in this, you know, right. and it's really kind right. of heartbreaking. And I yeah. think heard students hiding it from their parents that they're even at school. They don't even yeah. know. And, and so on that, you know, point of view, let's talk to those parents about how to really speak to your children and you're a dad. And yeah. so I'm sure you're going to go through this. I know my husband went through it with our kids and I kept saying, you know, we cannot push them towards anything we think they should do. We need to push them towards what they should be doing. And, right. you know, we took that stance and it has paid off in dividends, you know, for us, but talk to the parents right now and talk to teachers right now, because some of the things that some of your teachers said to me, I just want to, you know, sock them in the face right now. (laughs) You know, I I must say, I I was able to go back to the, to the school um, when I was 24, after I opened up my first salon and be a guest speaker at that school. And some of the teachers, (laughs) that were there, which was so interesting to me. Um, you know, they talking with them and even just, you know, putting it in alignment with, um, with, with parents is that we create almost like a wall of limitations because we don't want to see failure in our kids. We don't want, we want them to be okay. Like my mom would always say, all I, I expect from you guys is to just be upstanding citizens and, um, and live in a space where we're, we're kind of just like, you know, we're in the cubicle of life, you know, we're in a bubble of life and anything that sort of takes us out of the element of um, taking risks is a little bit too much. And the idea of life, I mean, even when we think about school, uh, from elementary school to junior high school, so forth and so on, we're kind of boxed into a way of how we learn, how we educate ourselves, how we educate our students, um, what we're graded upon. And it's a system that is created 
for us to succeed in school in the same way with cosmetology school, you know? So the system is designed for us to sort of react to how we're supposed to be when it comes to world, to the real world. And what I'm teaching my kids now is um, I have them doing boxing, for example. And, um, you know, so as they're learning boxing, they're learning systems. My, my son keeps saying, is this the way that I'm going to win? And no, this is not the way you're going to win. This is the way you're going to actually fail. And then you're going to go back and you're going to learn what it's like um, to actually respond to getting hit a certain way. And I think for out of love, whether it's unconditionally, especially for teachers and for parents, is we, it's, it's, hard, it's hard to see your kids fail. Mm-hmm. It's hard to see your kids not yeah. doing good. It's hard to see, you know, the fact that if your, your kids has to ask you for money uh, because they, they're, they're on a, this kind of this road to wanting to be an entrepreneur, kind of want to step outside of the comfort zone and you're just biting your nails like, oh, please don't do it, don't do it. But the truth of the fact is, is the more you risk you take, the more you fail, the more you actually um, get hit, the stronger you, be, you become. You know, you're conditioning yourself mentally, you're conditioning yourself emotionally, you're conditioning yourself from a spiritual perspective, you're conditioning yourself in a way to respond to the hits in a, in a more of a bigger impact. You know, and so when you fall hard, the question is not necessarily how quick you're going to get back up, but do you know how to get back up? And if you can do it in a way that is not cute, you know, it's not pretty. It's not, you know, when you get back up, it's not gifted. You're going to come up with different wounds. You're going to be, you're going to look at life a little bit differently. Uh, The conversations that you have from people who first started cosmetology school when they're excited and they're just like, oh my God, I can't believe I started cosmetology school. This is going to be amazing. I'm going to own my own salon. You know, their whole mindset is like, yes, yes, yes. And then they get out into the real world and the teachers are like, well, I told you so. It's going to be hard. It's going to be tough. And our parents are like, yes, I told you to go get that college degree. I told you it's going to be tough. And the mindset is either going to be a fixed mindset or the mindset is going to be one that's going to be creative. And, you know, the best businesses are built from creative, from a creative space. They're never based upon like, hey, things are supposed to be this way. It's like, hey, we got to get creative. We have to figure out how to actually make things work. And if individuals, including my kids and people that are in cosmetology school, when they start to think of themselves as a brand, when they start to think of themselves as a solutionist, when they start to start to think of themselves as um, utilizing, you know, three or four options to solve a problem, then things start to become a little bit more better on how they maneuver in the beauty industry and as individuals in this world. You yeah. know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, so good. I love that you're saying that. And, you know, studies show that our kids won't outperform us. And so there's very few kids that actually do better than their parents. And right. it's a small percentage. It's probably that same percentage we were talking about, the 10 to 12%. And you're right. It's, it's like this mindset. But I think we have to, as parents and as teachers, have to say, hey, you know, I want to be a great leader. Uh, so I want you to excel. I want you to go beyond me. And yeah. I think we have this, this, um, this, I don't know if it's an American culture leadership, what it, what it is, but it's really frightening to me, Jared. And I know you and I've talked about this and that is that almost like uh, salon owners, entrepreneurs think they own the people that work for them. And yeah. it's like, are you kidding me? Like you're supposed to be their biggest cheerleader, their biggest leader. That's why they came to work with you. Yeah. And so you should be training them either to build a business with you or build their own business. Like we should be not holding them back. Right. Right. I feel like, and it's so sad. I'm watching these platforms and I got tears coming down my face, Jared, watching yeah. salon owners, what they're saying about their team members, you know, talk about that for a minute. Yeah. I, you know, I love that you brought that up because I've, I felt like when I first opened my first salon, that's exactly what I did. You know, I felt like, number one, I, I brought uh, six people on board with me. 
Um, and, you know, it was kind of just like, I own a salon, I own this space, I have people now, and I can tell them what to do. I'm, I'm, I'm a leader, you know, and no, I'm, I'm not a leader because I'm not in servitude for their success. I'm in servitude for myself. And I think it's unfortunate because when you make an impact in someone else's life, the impact is to drive them to do better. The impact is to enforce the, um, the ability to see their own success in the, within themselves. You know, the essence of a great coach is really just built down with saying, I believe in you and I believe in everything that you're doing. And here are ways that we can work together to get you to where you, where you need to be. And, you know, instead of looking at my own bank account, instead of looking at my clients, instead of looking at the success that I had as a salon owner, when I opened up my second salon, I implemented a coaching program because I realized after doing so many different interviews, I mean, you know, Tina, you're a salon owner, um, interviewing people, I was just, you know, 15 minutes, 10 minutes in a conversation with a lot of people, uh, with a lot of people that were interviewing, they started to talk about how their past experiences were. They started to talk about how sad they were. Well, this is what the owner did to me. I can't believe that they did this to me. And I can't believe that they did this to me. And I was just like, whoa. So what happens is that they carry this onto this next salon that they work at. They carry it onto the next salon that they work at. And it becomes a problematic for every, all parties involved. Mm -hmm. So what I wanted to do was definitely just get like at the core of the individual to for them to actually recognize that their strengths and their abilities um, are in the in the developing process, and us as coaches, as leaders, as salon owners, so forth and so on, we have to be able to have the proper tools to be able to um, coach individuals in such a way that they see their progress, whether it's one step at a time or not, whether they you know to see their progress whether it's on a monthly basis, bi-weekly basis, so forth and so on. Mm -hmm. um, and it, it's, it's powerful because they feel empowered. Mm -hmm. You know, it, it's less about how much I accomplish as a salon owner, but more about what seeing their own ability to achieve something that they've never thought that they could ever achieve before. Yeah, there's no better feeling, Jared. And, and yeah. you know, when I made that shift too as an owner and I started thinking, oh my gosh, I have this opportunity to really change people's lives. And I know for a fact that my people's lives that I want to change is my salon partners, my salon leaders that I have. And and it's just been for five years and to watch that growth and to watch your growth too and Amazing. becoming a coach instead of a boss. Like yeah. think of yourself as a coach and, and you have this tremendous opportunity. And I, I just see so many people holding themselves back by not taking on that posture. I think most entrepreneurs are just unemployable. Yeah. They were great followers in the first place. And they're like, I'm going to be my own boss, you know? And right. it's like, okay, that sounds really cool. I want to go backwards for a second because here you were in uh, this non-diversified salon. Okay. And so you came in, uh, what was that like for you, Jared? Give the reality of that, um, the real picture of uh, being in that big 12,000 square foot spa and salon. Um, was there more that, did they get more diversified? I know one of my goals is to have more diversity, more inclusion. And so my awareness attenda, attenda, attendas is up. I can't think yeah. of the word, attendas. <laughs> my antennas are up and I'm aware. And yeah. it's like, oh my gosh, yes, I want more diversity. And I know even in our Paul Mitchell world, uh, they're working on more of a program with that to really, really um, make sure that that happens, right? Yeah. I love my friend Dale Jones. He says uh, his, what he does in his businesses, he always says, um, hey, we need more coffee in our cream or cream in our coffee. Like, come <laughs> on, guys. <laughs> and so I with that it. lesson uh, that you had, what it was like for you, how have you structured your companies? Yeah, so um, it's interesting because when I, when I, I was uncomfortable, at least for the first six months 
of working inside of that space. Um, we're talking about salon outings and like we did um, group trips and I'm just surrounded around people that I've never really socialized around with before. Yeah. And um, that was very, very interesting to me, but I was intrigued by the conversations that I was having and some of the questions that were kind of just drawn out to me, you know? And um, it's interesting because as I started to evolve the first year working at that salon space, what I started to realize was there was this, um, you know, Martin Luther King says, um, you know, hopefully in time, we will not be judged by the color of our skin, but by the content of our character. And one of the beautiful things that I resonated with was, um, you know, with my upbringing from a religious background was we were taught how to uh, communicate with people. We were taught how to do public speaking. We were taught how to knock on doors. We were taught how to um, interact with people. And I really just let my character shine. I was always just positive um, as much as I can be happy go lucky saying hi to everybody, even the housekeepers that worked inside there. People thought that I was just a you know this down to earth kind of guy. Uh, a lot of people uh, you know just took me under their wing, helped out a lot we had a, there was just a lot of laughter, and I not only started to look at that space as not being like, "Oh my gosh, she's white and he's white, and my owner's Asian, blah blah blah. I just started to look at everybody as individuals. And in return, that's what happened, you know, and, you know, 20 years later, I'm still friends with pretty much everyone that I started working with, you know, and we have, um, I can literally call any one of them and we can have a great conversation. And a lot of those people actually ended up coming to work with me. Um, and so the way that I, I, just look at how you transition into something that's new. The transition is all about built around vulnerability and you have to be vulnerable with yourself and expect the fact that people are going to have this judgments towards you, you know, um, regardless of your sex, regardless of your race, regardless of anything, people are going to prejudge you, but your character is what's really going to define how well you grow in this beauty industry. Your character is everything. The relationships that you build with people, the um, how optimistic you are, how positive you are. Um, you know, I never wanted anyone to look at me and say, oh, oh my God, I hated working with Jared because he was such a negative person. Oh my God, he always complained about this, 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 and this. I never wanted anyone to to think that I was that kind of person. So when I interacted with people, I was so vulnerable and so open that people had no room but to say, hey, this guy's really cool, you know? And um, which I feel is kind of like the key component to being able to maneuver in the industry and be able to be in a room with anyone, absolutely anyone. You know, um, and I think the the judgment, because we all judge people, we all have a, a sense of prejudice, you know, we kind of can see people walking and we kind of have a prejudgment about them if they have piercing or earrings or green hair, whatever the case may be. But when you really get down to the nuts and bolts and you actually meet a person, you talk to the person, you have a great conversation with the individual, their character is outshining absolutely everything. The, yeah. the, the more you work on your characteristics and that's part of the self-development process, the more that you're actually able to carry a dialogue that sort of expands the way you view the world. Mm -hmm. That's yeah. so, oh, wow, okay. I wanna switch gears. Um, what is it like as a business person having a salon in the Ritz-Carlton? Like, hello, yeah. that's the biggest thing I've ever heard. And talk a little bit about that, how you were able to navigate that and what it's like business-wise for you. Yeah, I, you know, I used to, um, one of the things that I admired about the Ritz-Carlton was um, their ability to market 
and do business based upon their experiences that they give to their guests. So you won't never see a Ritz Carlton commercial like ever, you know? And so um, I, during the time that I was actually building the salon in downtown, um, I had a good friend of mine that, um, that reached out to me and said that they were interviewing for her hairstylist. And so I took on a 10 hour a week position in the one in San Marino. And I was like, I'm going to work there. I'm just going to be there. And I'm going to learn how they kind of maneuver through things. And this is before I even thought about even partnering with the Ritz Carlton at all. But I learned so many amazing things about their quality to service that I started to implement this, you know, thing when I go and speak like, hey, do you want to be a Motel 6 hairstylist or do you want to be a Ritz Carlton hairstylist? And um, I, I said that because the quality of the service was absolutely exceptional. You know, they built their business off of a five star before Yelp even existed. Um, they, they worked that way. So when I had Salon 11, um, having Salon 11, I was probably about six years uh, having that space and Ritz Carlton was actually being built um, at that time, or maybe it was, yeah, it was, it was being built in my fourth year by the sixth year was close to being complete. And there were a handful of people who were going to be running the Ritz Carlton hotel who happened to just come down to the salon to get their hair done by us. And one of the girls says, listen, we have, we're, we have a spa that we're opening um, in there. And, um, you know, are you guys interested in, um, having, do you have any nail techs or do you have any, anyone that can do makeup for things? And I'm like, I, I know some people that can do it, but you know, you guys aren't opening up a salon inside of the Ritz. And they were like, no, we're not opening up a salon. Uh, the, the lady said, I run spas and that's what I do. That's what I specialize in. And, um, you know, and so I took a walk over with the intent that we we're just going to help out with just doing some of their events, doing makeup and, and possibly bringing in people for, uh, for, for nails. And then, uh, recruiting, uh, recruiting, and then, you know, inviting some of their guests just to basically come down to the salon and get their hair done when they're in town. And that was basically it. And we did a tour close to when the salon was completely finished. And as I'm walking around, I'm looking at the space, which was huge. I'm like, Hey, there's a little space right there that we can put a salon in. And she's like, no, I only do spas. I'm like, Oh, what about here? This would be cool to put a shampoo. Well, she's like, no, Jared, you know, and I had done her hair a couple of times and we were kind of just like joking around. And then I just said, listen, I'll put together a proposal for you. And if I can help the space to generate more money, do you think that it might be an option? And she says, you can send a proposal. I can, I have to send it to my GM and then we can take it from there. And, um, a couple of times they rejected it. And, uh, I guess the marketing director, did her research, which is crucial on me. And she found out my, about my career. She looked at our website. She saw that we were a five-star salon already a block, a block and a half away. So she reached out to me. She says, Hey, I, I read your proposals, kind of been thrown around, but we would love to meet with you. And we would love to have the GM meet with you. And I didn't know what I was going to do. I mean, I was kind of just like, okay, this sounds great. Great idea. Let's make this happen. And I contacted my attorney at the time and I'm just, you know, I'm like, Lloyd, you got to come with me. Cause I don't know. I'm going to the Ritz Carlton. And he's like, take out your earrings, uh, shave, <laughs> got to wear a suit. And I'm like, Oh yeah, that's right. You know? And so I went in there with the intention as if I was actually going for an interview mm-hmm. and with the knowledge that I had. So I went in there with a very submissive state of mind, like I'm here to service you guys. And this is what we can do. This is how much money that we can actually generate. I'm, I'm open to, um, you know, partnering finance from a financial standpoint um, of however you guys want to address it. And the GM kind of just threw around all these different ideas. And he says, you know, Majority of the time, the spas and salons don't really generate that much money for the hotel, but it's a great amenity and a great luxury for our guests. So um, maybe we can just still have our guests kind of just come down, go down to your salon. And I said, if you guys are planning on doing award shows, I can pack out the house. 
I can bring on a team that can generate, I mean, your guests will absolutely love it. We can go up to the rooms, we can do anything that they want. We just need three stations, a couple of shampoo bowls. I saw a couple of spaces and, you know, and it took them about two weeks and they, I went back for about four more meetings. I met everyone completely out of my comfort zone and they accepted the offer with the intent that we were going to be there for a duration of uh, two years. Um, and so there was a financial number that was tagged onto that, that we needed to hit our first year. And I remember just being like, I need to clean up my act. You know, I hear I'm kind of just like a freestyle, like, you know, I have a different way of coaching and building teams. And I needed to approach this one from a different element because I said that the Ritz Carlton kind of projects this, uh, this stellar uh, five-star projection. So the people that I hire for the space, um, came with customer service experience. You know, I was very picky about the people that I brought on to the team. Um, I have stylists that were on call. And our first year, we did uh, one of the award shows, and I think we did three people. Yeah, we did about three people for the award shows. And, but we were kind of picking up traction. By the third year, we rented out two of their ballrooms. <laughs> we had the salon, we had an office space, and I had 22 hairstylists and makeup artists that were working, and we did over 150 people um, wow. in a four-hour, five-hour period, and uh, about 80 of those people were actually walking the red carpet. There were uh, celebrities that we would go up to their room and do their hair, and we did about three award shows a year, but every single month, we increased our revenue, we increased our bottom, I mean, we increased absolutely everything. And one of the things that I committed to was the GM wanted me to work inside of the salon at least one day out of the week, because he says that, you know, your presence have to be there. We're going to call the salon JJD salon, and you have to be there. And wow. one of the things that I mentioned to them was my goal was to help my hairstylist to expand and grow and so every uh i was there on wednesdays every single wednesday i was there i brought in um one of the hairstylists or hairstylists to come in and work with me and all i would work on was basically just vip people i would either be up in their room or i would work inside of the salon space and i would have uh weekly meetings with the staff and with the with the uh, spa coordinator and it was imperative during that time for us to keep up our reputation. And there were so many uh, different wins and so many different losses during that period um, that it helped me as an individual to develop a, um, a systematic approach to hiring people and to ensuring that they were going to succeed uh, behind the chair. So I started to basically lay out um, 90 days, a 90 day plan, a three month plan for every stylist that worked for me. You wow. know, and so, um, you know, whether they were going to be working at Salon 11 and also working at the, uh, the JJD Salon, that was extremely important for me to, for them to actually see an outcome for 90 days. This is what you're starting with. This is where we're going to wean, wean you off of the hourly. And this is how much you should be generating within 30 to 45 days. If you are not generating this money, we're going to go back to the game plan. We're going to restart our 90-day program. Mm. Wow. Okay. Yeah. This is so big because I've been on a lot of uh, salon owner platforms and, and just listening, you know, uh, to yeah. hear what salon owners are struggling with. And all of them, I would say 99% of them say uh, hiring the right staff. 
And so Sean and I, we have, (laughs) you know, called uh, Next Level Salon Leadership, and we spent an entire month just on fixing your hiring plan, right? And so you hit on something really, really big. And I want to talk about this, Jared, because I was just talking to my salon leaders and I said, we need to revamp our 90-day plan and we need to stick to it. And I said that 90 days is going to make or break that team member and the amount of attention. So we've got to pour on attention. So we actually hired uh, someone on our team that's now our onboarding specialist, right? To focus on that. And so talk a little bit more about that. Talk to the salon owners about uh, how to develop a hiring plan because you have to have something. Yeah. So one of the things that I... um, one of the things that I talk about, uh, and I know I'm going to draw a blank to this, but it's, it's, uh, was, it's called the five C complex. And it's, um, it's going to kill me on this one because I, let me see if I can pull it up here. Um, it's the five C complex. And basically the com- complex of an individual is really just built around um, uh, the complexity of wisdom, um, insight, um, a person that is able to um, to maneuver in such a way that they can be a leader, but they know how to shift gear really quickly. It's like, you know, when, whenever you're running and you're being a leader and you're moving, moving, moving as a salon owner, you, you have to be able to kind of come out of the system and say, okay, that's not working. Let me switch really quickly. Yeah, so, adaptable, flexible. I love that. Flexibility. Yeah. Yeah. So the five C complex is basically built around uh, being clear um, with the vision, being concise, uh, being compelling, uh, being consistent and being committed to being able to constantly grow. So when we talk about wisdom, we talk about having insight, we talk about flexibility, you have to be very, very complex, you know, in, in such a way where when you sit down with a person, it's like, hey, this isn't working. People are like, well, yeah, I know. I, I don't know what to do. As a leader, you can never say, I don't know what to do. We're going to figure this out. Let's revisit it. And let's, let's make this happen in such a way. So um, when we're talking about owners, when we're talking about leaders, in a 90-day process, you want to be able to give your staff or the people that you're working with enough wisdom enough insight, enough firepower that they have the power and the authority to maneuver and shift at any time. That's so and, this, and, and the staff and the people that we're working with, uh, they have to see that they're able to shift gears at any time. You know, if the beautiful thing that I love about seeing like race car drivers, uh, when it's like, you know, 30, 40, 50 drivers, by the time you get around to the end, it's always narrowed down to maybe like about 10, 12 drivers. The ones who really, really are able to win those races are the ones who quickly adapt and move. They are complex in the way that they drive. It's like, hey, I need to switch up the tires. These tires aren't working. I'm slipping into, all right, let's go. Let's stop you at the pit stop quick. Let's change the tires. Let's get back on the road. You know, and they're constantly just adapting and quickly moving, quickly moving, quickly moving. They don't talk about, hey, I'm losing this race. What am I going to do? And they're like, I don't know. We, we did this with the time. It's like, we got to be able to maneuver. You got to be able to move quick. So when you're a complex and you're able to make clear, concise, quick, compelling decisions in a moment's notice, your team is going to look at this person like, whoa, this isn't working. Let's be quick and be able to build that wisdom in such a way that it can be taught. And, you know, a lot of people are like, well, you know, some people just have it and they don't have it. It's like not giving a person a fair chance because you have so much experience that you're not going to allow this other person to gain the experience. It didn't work out. So I just got to let you go. So in order to build upon wisdom, in order to be compelling about how you share your wisdom, it's not giving them all of things all at once. It's giving them the key components so that they can play uh, in, the, in this game of, of, of being a coach and being a leader. You pass that threshold the first 90 days, I know you're good to go. If you don't, let's go back and let's revisit it again. Oh you know, and so like a, a salon manager that I had in my salon space, um, 
every week she would complain to me. You know, we're like five weeks in that she's got a heart. Oh my God. But you know, one of the girls was doing this and I'm just, and I'd say, let's pause that for a moment. How is this changing anything? I don't want to hear about what they're doing. I want to hear about how you're resolving that. Yeah. I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to hurt your feelings. Yes. But I need you to be concise and I need you to be clear. If you go home and you're complaining about what this person is doing, then she's already impacted your life in a personal way. We're not going to take this route. I need to know that you are well equipped with being able to resolve this matter. Mm. Tell me two or three ways that you're going to resolve this. And what that does is it, it just completely starts to play and toy with the idea of wisdom insight, flexibility. It starts to toy with the idea that I have the ability to shift whenever I want. So <laughs> as an as a, as a owner, oh, as a manager, as a leader, my job is to strengthen the core at all costs. Mm. Okay. I think I need to do this podcast every week because I'm getting free coaching right now. So oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm definitely going to have my salon leaders listen to this. And I love that. And stop complaining about what they are doing. I need to know that you're well-equipped to resolve this matter. Like, I just want to know what you're doing to resolve this. You don't have to tell me everything they're doing. Just tell me. And I love that you said as a leader, you can never say, I don't know what to do. Right. You are well-equipped. and. So let's get past this. And, and I love it because it's up to the leader to set up the team members for success in the first 90 days. Absolutely. And if it didn't work, let's go back to the, the 90 days again. Let's go back. Let's right. Go back. And it's kind of like some hairdressers, they really need to go back through core class, you know, junior room and because they just didn't grasp the core fundamentals of cutting and color and, and all of the fundamentals. And that's why right. they can't cut hair. So let's go back through core. Let's go back through right. the first three months of school. It's okay. Yep. It's okay that you have to do that. Let's grasp it this time, yep. right? You're going to be at a different state of mind. And Jared, this is powerful. Oh yeah. my gosh. So uh, what else did I miss about being <laughs> diversified? Like, what do you want to add to this to be diversified? Yeah. Um, so I just, I, I just want to really, really hone in on this. And I think that it's going to be, um, this is just something that's extremely personal to me um, because we're in a beauty industry and we interact with so many people um, and we're powerful. Um, we're powerful individuals that can really, really unite uh something in such a way that can, that can help people shift and change. So when I think about diversity in our beauty industry and diversity within um, our clients, so forth and so on, one of the things that I really want every individual that's listening to this podcast to understand is that the people that you see that perhaps um, for the first time, um, Try not to prejudge how they are. Try not to make your assessment of them based upon what you may think they are, because the perception is just a reflection of what you have experienced and things that you have seen. Mm -hmm. And the reason I say that is because um, there was a young girl that um, maybe about six weeks ago, she called me up. Um, I told her that I would do a free coaching session. And I would talk to her and she says, you know, prior to this pandemic, I was really trying hard to like work at a salon, every salon that I went through. Um, I tried to work there and they wouldn't hire me. And she was like, you know, I, I wasn't dressed properly, but she was like, I really wanted to succeed. And if you saw this girl, you will realize like, hey, like she's gone through something in her life. You can tell she's got scars on her arms. Um, 
And what I didn't realize is that she was, uh, she was abused as a yeah. young girl. She's been in and out of foster care. Um, she was just trying to make a way for herself, just struggling in life. And she had been to five or six salons and she says, people wouldn't even look at me. They wouldn't pay me no attention, no mind, so forth and so on. You don't realize that if you're in a position of leadership or a position of coaching, um, this is beyond money at this point. This is just uh, compassion mm -hmm. and understanding that people may not have the same story as you. They have probably been through way things that are way worse than you. And what they're presenting is all they have. What they're presenting is all they have. You know, it may not be showed up as shiny, looking good, um, maybe not be to your presentation, but give them a chance. Mm -hmm. Give them a chance. Um, because what that does is even if you don't decide to bring them on your team, or even if you don't decide to help them out, you have to know that you can empower that person to go on and do bigger and better things. Yeah. Amen. Be, be like Jared. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for listening. And don't forget to send us your stories of transformation through www.tinablack.net. If you enjoyed this podcast, be sure to give it a rating and subscribe. See you next time.